gonna hit him with the bags. Always first, never last. I be the king of my class, got the heart of a wolf, and that's that. Double, double, like it's nobody business. I'm gonna take the ball and pass it to Wiggins. When I'm at the Welcome, everybody, to the most must-listen-to Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, Dunking with Wolves, where we are wolves, we are fan-sided. You can find this podcast on the website at www.dunkingwiththewolves.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. We are everywhere. I'm Brian Sampson, one of the co-experts for Dunking with Wolves. You can find me on Twitter at BrianSampsonNBA. I'm here with Ben Beacon, the other co-expert for the site. You can find him on Twitter, at bbeacon. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Wonderful. I don't think there might be a... There's probably never been a better time to be alive as a Minnesota sports fan, huh? Yeah, it's... Uh, I think you're probably right. I don't know if that would be an exaggeration. And as Timberwolves guys, we're just trying to ride the wave of the Vikings. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that was... So I'm a... I think we've talked about this before, but I'm actually a Packers fan, so... Um, but Minnesota sports fan for everything else. So yesterday I, I told myself I was okay with the Vikings winning if it meant that there was a, just a ton of momentum in Minneapolis and they could just, you know, the Timberwolves would win and they would just keep winning. And so I, I talked myself into that being okay as a Packers fan. Shame on you for being a Packer fan, Ben. Well, that's, uh, I was raised that way. So it's, I, I blame, I blame my upbringing. Can I, can I let you in on a little secret? Absolutely. We now have two Packer fans on this podcast right now. So that actually doesn't surprise me because I I, I I just was just guessing. <laughs> just so, guessing you were a Packers fan. So we don't want to lose too many fans here. We'll we'll keep it focused on the Timberwolves. Um, hey, but, that, but, but I mean, good for Minnesota sports though, right? Oh, like yeah, that? for sure, for yeah. sure, because the Vikings had that huge win, and Minnesota has also has a huge win last night. They won five straight games. Um, and I think all of them have been by double digits, if I'm not mistaken. And they wrapped up their home ga- or their home stand at five and zero as well. So they sit at fourth in fourth place in the Western Conference. And you know, if the San Antonio Spurs lose today on Monday against the Atlanta Hawks, Minnesota would be tied for the third seed. Who would have thunk that here in the middle of January, Minnesota is right there for the third seed? That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that game's about to tip off, isn't it? I I don't know. I'm not very good with time. Perfect. <laughs> so the Wolves in their last five games, they beat the Trailblazers. Then before that, they beat the Knicks, they beat the Thunder, they beat the Cavs, and they beat the Pelicans. And so, yep, all five of those games have been by double digits. And this might be the best stretch we've seen the Timberwolves play all season. What do you think? Yeah, I think without question. Um, and, and we've talked, you know, it's been, what, like 10, 12 days since we last did a podcast. And, and I think... Um, we kind of said that at the time too, because, you know, they, they, I guess I was coming off of a couple of road losses at Brooklyn and Boston, but still since really December 1st, they've been outstanding. And, and over the last two weeks, since the last time we talked, I don't think they've lost. I think they're perfect since then. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any question about it. And we talk a lot about the defensive improvement, but the offense has been the best offense in the league. Um, or I guess second, depending on what metric you use to Golden State. But I mean, either way, if you're best or second to Golden State, you know, the, the offense is clicking too. Yeah, I think we lasted our podcast right before the Brooklyn Nets game because I remember we were predicting that week of is two. It was a really tough week, and we both predicted that Timberwolves would only beat the Nets and then they'd lose to the Celtics and the Pelicans and the Cavs. But we were wrong in that account, and I'd never been more happy to be wrong. So coming up here, though, it doesn't get any easier. January in and of itself is very difficult. 
for Minnesota. They play at Orlando on Tuesday night, which is will be a decently easy game. But if the history about the Timberwolves this season tells us anything, they probably will lose that game. But then they go on the road, stay on the road against Houston on Thursday night, play Toronto Saturday night, and then they got the Clippers and the Trailblazers as their next two after that. What do you think about this next stretch of games? I mean, I think I think it's going to be a fun stretch to watch. Um, like you said, it, it's you know they should. It, they're kind of in the middle of, of a stretch that overall is is difficult. Um, the game at Orlando is one of the easier games on the schedule here. You know, if you go back to the start of January. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't. I guess it wouldn't shock me. They got to lose at some point, and, and it just kind of feels like it'll be a game that maybe you know they've played up and down to their competition pretty much all year. Um, although I guess the last time they lost at Boston, that was that was a good example of just running into a really good team on the road. Um, but seeing them against Houston and Toronto. Um, and that is going to be awesome. And then a road trip with the Clippers, Portland, and Golden State after that. So five of the next six on the road, um, probably, what, three, if not four of those five teams are, that they're going to see on the road are playoff teams. Um, so it, it's going to be a really tough stretch. Um, and if James Harden indeed comes back, I know that there was that report on yeah. Sunday, um, that's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, either way, even if he doesn't come back, that's a tough game. But if he does, you know, TNT game, Thursday night, the late game, um, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and, and I think, I think we're, we already know a lot about this team. I think it's unquestionable. It's, it's unquestionable at this point that they're good. Um, but are they going to be, you know, battling with the Spurs for the third or fourth seed? And then that's, you know, that's nice. And maybe they get to the second round, maybe they get to the conference finals, or are they going to show that they could really be a threat to get to the conference finals and then, you know, challenge a Golden State or a Houston. Um, I don't think we're anywhere near saying that yet, but beating Houston on the road on national TV would certainly be a step in the right direction. I may be in the minority here, but I want James Harden to be back for that game. I think it'd be a great test for Minnesota here in the middle of January and keep them interested, you know, keep them going here on this hot streak. So I want Harden to come back. I realize even if he does come back, he'll probably have very limited minutes I would expect maybe 15, 20 or so, but I still would like to see Minnesota, you know, how they how they react against a test like that. It'd be a good maybe playoff atmosphere game for Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns to get their feet wet here in the middle of January. That may be going a little too far, but I just want to see that intense game. So that way the Timberwolves can get some of those, you know, in their back pocket and get some of that experience because come playoff time, they're going to have guys like Towns and Wiggins who have never been there before, and so they're going to have to get acclimated quickly. And I think the best way to help them are games like these against top-level opponents who are fully healthy because the Rockets are getting Luke Richard Mute back as well. And so they're coming back to full strength. And if Minnesota does win, they should be – right now they're three games behind Houston. But if they beat them on Thursday, they could be two yeah, two games behind them. So I, I want to see Harden back for that game. Yeah, I was gonna, I was looking at the standings this morning, and it's something like the Wolves are the exact number of games behind the Warriors for the number one seed in the West as they would be from – I think it's the Clippers who are the first team out of the playoffs in the West, the nine spot. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're I'm hearing now everybody's kind of nationally is like, well, now that we know, you know, it's looking like the Wolves are going to end that playoff drought. You know, the, the odds are obviously astronomical that, that they will at this point. But to put that in perspective, you know, for how good the Warriors are and have been, and they're the only NBA team that could claim to be better than the Wolves really since the first part of December, you know, 30 to 45 days now. Um, I mean, they're they're only a few games behind them and, and they're in the conversation for a top you know two or three seed in the west matt moore tweeted out that the timberwolves magic number to clinch a playoff spot is 33 my yeah. number is a little bit different when i saw um 
28 was the number that I saw. But regardless here, yeah, in another two months, they'll have something wrapped up if they continue this way. I know I'm getting way, way ahead, but, you know, this is – they're going to have their low valley coming up here in the season. You know, the NBA season is long. It's 82 games. Every team goes on high streaks and low streaks. Minnesota is definitely going to, you know, hit their bump in the road at some point. But the real test will be then how fast they recover from that and if they can get back on that winning streak. And so I think right now Minnesota's riding high, and I look for it to continue here at least for the next week or so. Yeah, and I think this is actually, I mean, you could look way ahead and I'm sure find some other big tests on the schedule, but I would say the rest of January is is, is when we're really going to know for sure um, if this team has turned a corner or if there's going to be any regression from Towns defensively, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But um, but looking at the schedule, you know, they have two home games over the next two weeks. That's it, and they aren't consecutive. So they have, they have what, um, uh, let's see, seven. So seven out of the next nine games are on the road. And they don't play consecutive home games until February 1st and 3rd. So, um, and some of those road games are easier than others. You know, at the Clippers, they should win. At Atlanta, they should win. At Orlando, they should win. But it's still road games. Um, if they can come out of that, you know, seven and nine on the road stretch, including, you know, two games against Toronto in there and some really tough games, if they can come out of that, something like, you know, um, I guess six and three or something. I think everybody would feel pretty good about that um, heading into February when they finally get some home games um, on the schedule. Any other last thoughts about the schedule before we move on to Jimmy Butler? No, I don't think so. Other than other than as Timberwolves fans know, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, they went two or three games or two or three seasons at one point without being on TNT. Um, and, you know, I think ESPN tried to get them on once a year, even during the lean years, um, at least once Kevin Love was an all-star. Um, but, man, they're just adding national games left and right to the schedule, um, which is just kind of crazy. You know, the Wolves, nobody's seen that since – 2004 with the Wolves, um, but there's TNT games, there's ESPN games, there's even an ABC game in March. Um, it's for it's Timberwolves fans, for people, it, it is. And and as silly as that sounds, especially to fan bases who are used to following a good team, you know, in Minnesota that's significant. And um, for for fans to be able to to see them on national TV regularly is going to be. Um, hopefully that helps Jimmy Butler's MVP case, and I think we'll talk more about that as the season goes on, provided he keeps playing like this. Um, and it, hopefully it helps with the exposure to just how much how improved Towns is, despite the fact his per game numbers are down. He's just playing better basketball. So some of those things I think will start to change in the national narrative now that we're seeing some of these TNT games and ESPN games um, on the schedule. And that's incredibly amazing considering the small market that Minnesota has. I mean, you see teams like the Lakers, even when they suck like they have for the last however many years, they get 10, 15 national TV games. So to add on a small market like Timberwolves, I agree with you. It's completely incredible. I remember the I remember back in the Garnett days, even when they were one and done in the playoffs, you know, what, seven out of eight years or something like that. Um, you know, they would be on those Sunday NBA and NBC games uh, with Doug Collins doing color commentary. They were on those a, a decent amount, you know, for being a small market because Garnett was, you know, he was a league MVP that year, but was a perennial all star. So, you know, getting back to that a little bit more is, is going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. So fully moving into the Jimmy Butler era that we are in. There's been a lot of talk about or a lot of questions about exactly how dominant he is. And there's been, you know, some underlying MVP talk about if he deserves to be in that conversation. I think that he fully deserves to be in that conversation. I'm not even going to list off his stats because I feel like his impact goes a lot farther than the statistics say. And that's what a true MVP candidate is. I know Dave Benz got into it on Twitter. Somebody on Twitter was going after him for yesterday and this morning still. I saw I was going about Jimmy Butler not even being a top 20 
MVP candidate, which I think is absurd. I think Butler's in, I think Butler's in that second tier. Um, you know, I think there's a clear tier right now with like Harden, LeBron, maybe Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, but I think Butler's right there in that second tier with the guys like DeMar DeRozan is in. They'll get some votes and they deserve to be up there. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I think that that's probably the best way to classify it. I mean, for me, I mean, you're probably talking, you know, James Harden, LeBron, Giannis, I would probably put somewhere near that first tier. Um, but then after that, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to argue against Butler not being in the top five in the, in the MVP conversation. I mean, any, if you want to look at advanced metrics, if you want to look at, um, I mean, there's the obvious, this is, I'm sure, what we'll start to hear as we get closer to, to award season and actually seriously talking about this on a national level is um, just the record. I mean, they have their, the Wolves are almost having a historic turnaround. And if this continues on pace, if they win more than 50 games, you know, they go from 31 wins to 54 or something crazy like that, that's almost unheard of. Um, and so you'd have to look at, you know, if they end up with a top three seed, it's crazy to the rest of the team. I know that there's some other new guys, but I mean like your second and third best players are the same in Wiggins and towns as they were a year ago. Um, so you can use almost any metric you want or just look at wins and losses. And, and it's, it's clear um, that Butler is, is an MVP candidate and, and, you know, we're only halfway through the season games wise, but um, you know, it's, it's about, it's about the time when folks start talking about it. For sure. And I, I mean, I don't even know what to say for people who don't think that he's an MVP candidate. He's single-handedly has turned this turned this team around. I mean, if if what the critics say is true, where Wiggins is trash and Towns doesn't play defense, then somebody on this team deserves credit, you know, for right. all for their great play. And <laughs> those people should those people should definitely think that Butler's an MVP candidate, but exactly if the people that think that think those that believe those narratives. Yeah, and it's crazy to me that Butler is way down there in the All Star voting. I mean, he'll he'll get in for sure because the coaches yeah. and the players will do their due diligence and, and get him in the game. But he's just been a great player. His intensity that he brings every night and the nonstop hustle. I mean, he's always hustling. He turns the ball over. It was, it was last night. He, I don't even know if he turned the ball over, but he hustled down the court, made the guy miss the layup. Unfortunately, no other Wolves players hustled back, and Turner got his own rebound and put it back in. But he's just yeah. always going. You know, he's talking trash, which I love. He brings a swag to Minnesota that the Timberwolves haven't had since KG. And yeah. I know KG is just on the roster a couple of years ago, but back, I'm thinking back to when he was in his prime and he just yeah. brings a swag and it's rubbing off on everyone around him. Yeah, there's a definite, um, there's a definite Kevin Garnett um, like aura about Jimmy Butler in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was, I was telling them that Jimmy Butler's already, easily the second best Timberwolves player all time. Like it's, it's really not close. Um, but even outside of, even outside of the fact that he's a, a superstar in his prime, he's going to be a brilliant perennial all-star for the next few years. Um, he does have that edge that you're talking about that Garnett like edge where it's, he's just a little bit crazy. You're not really sure what he's doing or what he's saying, but it's that edge that every team needs. And with Townsend Wiggins being, you know, their own personalities a little bit quieter, they need that. They need that edge. Um, and you know, they've got a couple guys on the team now that bring it. And, and I think that that's, it's so much fun to watch. It's, it's, he knows how to play to the crowd. He knows how to, how to get people excited and, um, and knows the right things to say, he knows how to be the guy in the city. I mean, he was a superstar in Chicago and well, he was in Derek Rose's shadow for you know a few years. Um, you know, the last couple years he was the guy. Um, and so he knows how to be a star, you know, of the city and, um, and kind of, you know, be the marquee, the the top name on the marquee. So I think that that's 
it seems small, but it's not. I mean, I think that sort of thing can go a long way for for a young team, for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a long time, and and that's we're seeing now that kind of less tangible reason why Tibbs needed felt like he needed to have Jimmy Butler on the team. Of course, no questions asked. For those of us who've watched Butler all year, we know that his dominance goes a long ways on and off the court, and he deserves to be in every MVP conversation, and it's only going to get better as the season goes on. Because he started out slow. He's really picked it up here since, you know, it started before December, but that's when the team has started to play well, was beginning of December. Mm -hmm. All right, so next let's talk about Carl Anthony Towns and his improved defense. After getting completely ripped apart by local and national media fans, everyone and their moms who watched the Timberwolves were just ripping him apart on defense. He's really taken some nice strides in the last, I would say it's been going on for a month and a half now. What do you think about his defensive improvement? I think, I think it's been outstanding. Uh, and we're going on five or six weeks now where this is this, everybody's just kind of thinking like, is he going to have a game where he backslides? Is this going to change? Cause I mean, the team as a whole last March played pretty good defense for like three weeks. And then it was somewhere around the time when Nemanja Bielitsa got hurt yeah. last March is when things just kind of fell apart. And I think the rotation changed and it was just kind of a weird, um, Brandon Rush ended up playing a lot of minutes and it just was a weird time of the year. Um, but I think Towns is one of the big reasons why the defense has improved so much recently. We talked, I think a little bit a couple weeks ago about how, uh, Tyus Jones being the starting lineup, <laughs> Um, that certainly helped too. I think that Tyus Jones brought that a little bit of that defensive edge as well and that that hustle. Um, and now even Jeff Teague is actually playing pretty solid defense since he's in the couple games, I guess three games since he's come back from injury. Um, and so, but anyways, back to Towns, I think that um, we all know that Tom Thibodeau's defensive scheme, it requires a mobile big man who can, who knows where he needs to be, knows the rotations, um, is is icing in the right spots, is rotating down um, to the big roll into the rim at the right times. And he's doing those things now. His and, and his steal numbers are actually down a little bit since he started doing that. But but that's a good example as why steals aren't always super indicative of how well somebody's playing defensively. He's just been in the right spot at the right time. He's understanding, you know, he's the from that criticism early in the season when he was not blocking shots, he was, you know, just waiting, to, hoping to get rebounds. It seemed like, you know, he wanted the rebound instead of trying to go for a block shot or to play real defense. And then the pendulum swung. I think he saw the criticism and it swung to let's block all of the shots that I possibly can. I think the Miami game was one where it was, it was pretty bad and, and the Wolves gave up a ton of offensive rebounds. Um, but then now the pendulum's kind of settled in the middle where he's, he's figuring out like, hey, some of these I need to go after. Other ones, it's not the right play. I need to stay back on my guy, box him out, get the defensive board. Um, and, and I think he's he's figuring that out. And, and the game seems to – I know it's a cliche, but it seems to have slowed down a little bit for him on defense. I think Tibbs has tweaked the scheme a little bit as well. Um, but but Town, you know, now that Towns has been in this – we talked about this a few weeks ago. Now that he's been in this defense for a year and a half um, – it's really starting to click and it's not like the guy, you know, was a 30 year old veteran. He's, he just turned 22. So of course it's, it was going to take a little bit of time. And I think we're seeing the fruits of that finally. Yeah. I don't think Towns is doing anything spectacular. And I think that's, what's been great about this Timberwolves defense is, well, defense is easy. You know, you just stick to your principles that are in there and good things will happen. And Towns has really been indicative or has been you know, a nice presentation of what the defense as a whole has done. And what I mean by that is he's playing his role. He's playing disciplined defense. Like you said, he's not jumping wildly to try to block all these shots like we've seen him do in the past. He's staying on his feet far more often, picking his spots about when to jump and try to block shots. 
and that's really gone a long ways. He's really just playing his role, forcing guys to shoot over him. I think that's been a big part is, you know, putting your hands up to contest a shot when you aren't going to block it. And he's always been really good about moving his feet and staying with guards on the perimeter. Um, of course, you know, you're always going to get guys like last night with Damian Lillard, blue right passing, but he does that to everybody. For the most part, Towns does a good job of moving his feet off when switching off screens and yeah. keeping guys in front of him and forcing him to take tough contested jumpers. And so I think, you know, he's always done that. And now it's just being more disciplined. And as a kid, I mean, that's what you are when you're 20, 21, 19 years old, you know, you're just a kid out there. You see the ball, your eyes get big, you try to go block it. And now he's really coming down into his roots. And I want to say that Taj Gibson deserves a lot of that credit. He's been a great role model for Towns in that front court on how to use. They both have really long wingspans, and he's been a great role model about how to use that wingspan to your advantage. Um, and you mentioned the scheme changes. I think Dibbs has done a nice job of adjusting some things. The biggest change I've noticed is they send more help to Towns when he's one-on-one on the low block because he doesn't have that strength. You know, oftentimes he gets bodied up down there in the block, and so they're starting to send more double teams as soon as the post player puts the ball on the floor. And Towns is doing a great job. We saw it last night, moving his feet and then taking the charge um, down there in the block. So he's doing some really nice things, and they're starting to morph their scheme around their players instead of trying to make their players morph into their scheme. Yeah, I think that, that those are all fair points. Yeah, for sure. Um, the one other thing that I guess kind of shifting to the other side of the floor at Towns is that he's um, that quote unquote game slowing down for him and his basketball IQ and, and things clicking. I think that that's also happening on an offense. Um, there were a couple of plays and I'm planning to do a, a breakdown on on this on the Wolves offense, but more specifically Towns and, and what's clicking for him um, that'll post um, likely on Tuesday. Um, but there were a couple of plays where Towns got the ball. There was the one where he was rolling to the basket and he easily could have finished with the right hand and possibly drawn a foul. Um, but he shoveled a pass to Taj for a dunk. And it was in the craziest thing to me. And, and maybe this is just, I had convinced myself this was going to be an issue, but it was in a game where Towns had barely touched the ball. He'd shot the ball, you know, two, three times at the, at the time, I believe he didn't even, I don't think he touched the ball on offense for the first five minutes on the game clock. Um, literally. And the first time he touched it, it was like a loose ball rolling away and he picked it up near center court and passed it right back to Jimmy Butler. And instead of pouting about it or, you know, just jacking up a shot because he had the ball and, and he probably could have scored the right play was the open dunk and he got the ball to Gibson and he, you know, Taj got the dunk and Towns got the assist and everybody was happy. Um, and there was another play later in the game where it was, it was similar where Towns probably could have shot the ball, but he found a teammate a better shot. And I'm not sure that those are passes we've always seen. Um, I also think that his decision-making on when and how he's shooting three-pointers has been outstanding. Um, he's shooting a career high um, in you know on threes. He's shooting almost 42% on threes. Seems like he's making two out of three or three out of four almost every game. Um, but he doesn't always shoot that three from the top of the key. He does when it's the right moment, when he has a you know he's in rhythm, he gets the ball, can catch and shoot, the defense is playing back. But he doesn't shoot it every time, and, and he seems to pick his spots well enough to, to just be so deadly from that range. Um, and, and I think that we're seeing a few different things like that where it's just there aren't as many like cringeworthy contested – I can't really think of any cringeworthy contested jumpers that he's shooting. Whereas last year it was like two, three of those a game where he just wanted to shoot the ball. Um, and this year he's he's been content to kind of play that. You know, He sees his usage rate drop considerably, um, and he's averaging less points per game, but he's still averaging a 20 and 12. So it's not uh, 
like his his production has completely fallen off a table. Um, but he's he's playing that role. He's playing that second star role, and he seems to be comfortable with it. And that's that's a huge sign of maturity. For sure, for sure. Lastly, let's talk about Andrew Wiggins because he's also maturing both on and off the court, and he's doing a great job. You know, he's kind of had improvements in all aspects of the game. What are you seeing from Wiggins here this last month and a half? Yeah, I think with Wiggins, it's been less obvious. It's less, um, it's quite honestly, it's, it's been less sexy than Towns's improvement. And it's, it's a little ironic because Wiggins is the one that's the athletic freak and, and tends to have more offensive highlights, whether it's turnaround jumpers or highlight dunks over the past few years. But I think, you know, what Wiggins has done has in, he's incrementally improved. And we've seen this a couple of times in his, in his, I guess this is his fourth season. We've seen this a couple of different times throughout his four years, three plus years, where it feels like he's getting a little bit better. And then at the end of the year, you look at his numbers and they don't actually look all that much better. And, you know, his um, rebounding rate isn't necessarily any better. Um, and his advanced numbers don't look much better. Um, and, and if you look at his season as a whole right now, he's not better. He's actually been, been worse. Um, but I think over this, this period of time where the wolves have improved in the past six weeks or so, you've seen Wiggins kind of be okay with that third, you know, that third wheel type role, um, where he's still getting his shots. I mean, for the longest time, and he may still be, um, leading the team in shots per game, which is just crazy when you've got Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, but he's still scoring his 15 to 20 points a game. We saw one of his more efficient games ever, um, uh, last night against Portland, I think he was eight of eleven from the field um, and scored like twenty one or twenty three points or something, and um, and that's that's exactly what they need from him. He grabbed four rebounds, had a couple of steals. Those are the games that they need to see. We we don't need to see the fifteen shots to get nineteen points and you know two rebounds, zero steals, zero, zero assists. Like those are not the games we need from Andrew Wiggins. Um, and I think we're starting to see that incremental improvement. I think it's it's similar to Towns in that he knows when to pass the ball, when to shoot it a little bit better. Um, I, I still think they and, – and I think they're calling just enough plays for him. I'm okay with him getting post-ups. That was something that he did so much as a rookie with Flip Saunders um, that it became too much. But I think he, he still is a deadly post scorer. And for as inefficient as post-touches generally are, it's important to get Wiggins a couple of them to get him into a rhythm. He's good enough in the post. He can draw some fouls, get the other team in the penalty – um, and I think that they're balancing that well enough, and Wiggins seems to be okay with it. So I think I think we're definitely seeing some incremental improvement. I'm not super excited about it yet, uh, but it's it's a positive trend. He is leading the team in field goal attempts. He has 15.7 per game, and Butler is 15.3. Yeah, um, yeah, I that think- should that should change given the past few weeks. But but yeah, I mean that's that goes to show why they got off to a little bit of a slow start this year. I think for sure. Well, Butler took that really. Um, reserved role to start the year where he's trying to set his teammates up and get Wiggins and Towns going early. But I think overall Wiggins has, I think he struggled the most out of the big three to adapt to his new role because he went from being option 1A or 1B the first three years of his career to now clearly being the third scoring option. Despite, despite him leading the team in field goal attempts, he's clearly the third scoring option. I know that Towns can sometimes disappear from games but I think that has more to do with the wings not wanting to give him the ball and more to do with you know it's as a big man it's hard to demand that presence all the time when you're not bringing the ball up the floor not catching it on the perimeter you know you rely a lot more on other guys but overall he struck Wiggins has struggled the most to adapt to the new game and I just uh, made a video about this about how if he really embraces his role as a cutter on this team it will really help him because I think offensively he struggled. He's shooting 
Yeah. He's shooting bad from everywhere, from the three-point line, you know, from mid-range. It's not, you know, he's near his career lows in all areas of the field. But yeah. I think that where we've seen his improvement is defense, and he's a lot more engaged. He is a lot more intense. He's got more – his hands are more active. He's swiping more balls. Yeah. And so I think that's been the biggest change that I've noticed. He still has a tendency to sit way too high in his stance, both on ball and mm-hmm. off ball. But he's getting better, and that's all you can ask is taking these steps. It doesn't all just happen at once. you got to take these steps to <clears throat> really show that you can do it. And he's been you know, a little bit better all over the court, especially on defense. Yeah, and I mean, we said he's in his fourth year in the league. He's still just 22 as well. So, I mean, it's not like you know there's still room for improvement. And, and I think the thing that's encouraging for me, maybe defense, yeah, I would, I would agree he's improved there. But you look at at some of his um, some of his advanced his rate based numbers. I mean, across the board, the ones that concern you the most are improving. So his rebounding percentage is up, including especially on defense defensive rebounding. His block percentage is way up, and his steal percentage is way up too. Um, and and he's actually decreased his turnovers every year he's been in the league in terms of percentage. Now part of that this year is he's handling the ball less, and with that has come a decreased assist percentage, which is a little concerning. But that's just like you said, he's not getting the ball as much, and when he does, it's often in the post or as a spot-up three-point shooter, and he's not shooting the ball well from three, and he by far has a career high in attempts, or you know the number of attempts he's taking from outside the arc. And while it's great that his mid-range jumpers have decreased, um, so have his shots at the rim and so has his has his free throw rate and you talked a little bit about and you had the article about him embracing a role as a cutter if he if he does that and we've seen there's probably at least one example per game where he has a great cut to the basket somebody finds him and he draws a foul or gets a dunk or a layup Um, he's he's pretty decent at finishing in traffic and he's always been good at drawing fouls although that decreased last year and it's decreased even more this year so i think what they need to do is get wiggins into more of those situations where he is cutting to the rim now that towns is becoming better at passing out of the post um you know butler's handling handling the ball a little bit more um looking for wiggins as a cutter because he's going to draw more fouls he's going to be more efficient at the rim and as long as he keeps shooting enough threes to keep the defense honest and if he can improve that three-point percentage a little bit closer to the 36 percent he was at last year um you know then he's a good offensive player I i think he's He's getting close to figuring that out. It's just, you know, he's taking less mid-range jumpers, uh, but it's also hard to know whether that's by design or it's just he's getting the ball less. So, um, you know, here's hoping that that the cutting is something that they pick up and that they start using a lot more of. For sure. All right, well, thank you, Timberwolves fans, for tuning in to this episode of Dunking with Wolves. You can find Ben Beacon on Twitter, at bbeacon. You can find myself, Brian Sampson, on Twitter at Brian Sampson NBA. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next time, those fans.